Holy Spirit, come, fall upon your servant Drew, anoint him, speak through him, open our ears to what you would have uh, to share with us so that together we might become strengthened in our life in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mm -hmm. West. Thank you all. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, Like Father West shared, All Saints has been a sort of haven for us for a number of years. Uh, Father West has been an encourager and a friend. And so this is just uh, really, really special. Um, It's a real gift uh, to be with you all this morning. So we're going to reflect for a few moments on our gospel reading. So I invite you uh, to turn in your bulletin. It's on page 10. Or you can grab a Bible and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In this reading, there are two short, seemingly simple, yet profoundly life-changing phrases that for years have caught my attention. And so I want to just spend a few moments reflecting on with you all This morning, the first of these two phrases is in verse 43, when Jesus says to Philip these two simple yet profound words, follow me. And then a few verses later, Philip says to his skeptical friend Nathaniel, come and see. So let's reflect for just a bit on those two phrases, which in good preacher fashion, I really appreciate that they both rhyme. (laughs) Follow me and see come and see. So first, Jesus' call to Philip, follow me. So as you may know, we're in the season of Epiphany. That's why you see lots of green around this morning. And this season begins and actually ends on the last Sunday of Epiphany by highlighting Jesus' divinity, Jesus' glory as the Son of God, God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity. So last Sunday, I heard you all, just like we did, we celebrated some baptisms, and we heard about Jesus himself being baptized. When the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven declared, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now what's important for us to note this week is that in all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's a common sequence. So Jesus' baptism happens, and then soon after that, Jesus begins calling his disciples, follow me. And so we as readers, as we engage with, as we experience this narrative, we're supposed to experience something. And the thing that we're supposed to experience is the weightiness of this call. The weightiness of this call. This is not just any old ordinary call to follow me. This is a call to follow the one who was just revealed in his baptism to be the Son of God, the one in whom God the Father is well pleased, the one on whom the Holy Spirit rests. This is the one. Imagine this. This is the one who looks people in the eyes and says to them, follow me. Not just any ordinary call, but a life-transforming call to follow Jesus. We also heard this morning about God's call to Samuel. I love the story when God shows up and he audibly calls Samuel by name. And here in John chapter 1, once again, God shows up 
This time, God in the flesh and audibly calls people to follow him. So do you see the weightiness, the vastness of this call, how life-transforming it would have been to have Jesus look you in the eyes and invite you to follow me? So this raises the question, what about you? What about you? Who are you following? These apostles understood the significance, the weightiness of this call. So, of course, they left everything to follow Jesus. They devoted their entire lives to Jesus. They oriented their entire being around Jesus. So what about you? Who is it that you're following? The same invitation is extended to you this morning. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Now, many people may think they might react. Maybe they wouldn't exactly vocalize it this way, but maybe this is kind of going on deep down. If God showed up like he did to Samuel and audibly called me by name, then, then I would really commit to him. Or if God in the flesh showed up in the person of Jesus and invited me to follow him, then I would be serious about this call. But what I want you to see this morning is that God has shown up. This church has, this call has been extended throughout the ages through the church. Jesus made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples all the way to our present day, and this call goes forward today. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. We see this morning plainly, clearly, right on the pages of Scripture that we're reading together, Jesus' call to us to follow him. So who is it that you're following? Who are you following? Are you following Jesus? Is your entire life devoted to him, your entire being oriented around him? Are you following someone who's a good guide in Christ? I think about Paul who wrote this to the Corinthians later after what we read this morning where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Who are you following? I like how Dallas Willard so wisely and I think truthfully acknowledges this. Listen to what he says in one of his books, The Divine Conspiracy. He says this, who teaches you? Whose disciple are you? Honestly, reflect on that question. He writes, one thing is sure. You are somebody's disciple. You learned how to live from somebody else. There are no exceptions to this rule. So whose disciple are you? Who are you following? My hope, my desire for you, for people in Jackson, for people in Memphis, is that people would experience personally this call to follow Jesus And that we, like these early followers of Jesus, would orient our entire being around Jesus, devote our entire lives to Jesus, that we would respond to this call. Now, there's one thing that's so important that we have to acknowledge because of the hyper-individualism of our day. And it's this, that Jesus does not call a solo disciple. Jesus calls a community of disciples. Jesus does not call a solo disciple. He calls a community. John Wesley says it wisely. He says, there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. Now, unfortunately, and this breaks my heart, we see more and more, quote-unquote, solo Christianity on the rise in our day. But, I want you to hear clearly, I believe that this is not Christianity. We are not followers of Jesus in isolation. Instead, we follow Jesus together. This is the church. And there's something that happens as we follow Jesus together as a church 
that I want to show you this morning, and it's the second of these phrases, come and see. And over the past year or so, as we've wrestled with this call to church plant, and we've moved back to Memphis, and we've started in this journey, this is the thing that's been animating me and fueling me, along with the Holy Spirit. This idea, this, this reality that I want to show you this morning, captured here in this phrase, come and see. So look with me at Scripture. Jesus says to Philip, he says, follow me. And then a little bit later, Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. And then in verse 46, or verse 45 rather, this is what Philip says to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Nathaniel is skeptical. And his response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then I love Philip's invitation to him. All he says is simply, come and see. Come and see. Come and see Jesus for yourself. Come and see. So I I just finished reading over over the holidays a a great book that I think is really important. It's called The Great De-Churching. The Great De-Churching. And it's about a big study that was done over the last few years examining the, the changing religious landscape in our country, in America. And so here's what the authors say towards the beginning of the book. I think this is really important, so listen to what they have to say. They write, We are currently in the middle of the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. About 15% of American adults living today, that's about 40 million people, have effectively stopped going to church. That means 40 million people who were churched, actively involved in a church, 15% of American adults have effectively stopped going to church. They're what we would call de-churched. And here's what they say. Most of this de-churching has happened in the last 25 years. It's happening right now. So we have this clear and important task as we follow Jesus together to invite our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, come and see. Come and see this Jesus and here's, here's the thing. This is the thing that excites me that I want you to see. Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see Jesus in a very tangible and very real way. Jesus was right there. Like, come see Jesus. He's right here. You can, you can talk to him. You can interact with him a tangible, real way. So what, I, ask yourself, I ask myself, would, would it be a little bit easier to invite our friends to come and see Jesus if it felt that real? if it felt that tangible. But this is the thing that I'm seeing more and more. The invitation that we extend to come and see is just as real, just as tangible as Philip's invitation to Nathaniel. We are not inviting our friends to just think about, philosophize about some esoteric ideas that have no real bearing on life or some boring principles that are outdated and irrelevant. When we invite our friends to come and see Jesus, we invite them just as tangibly, just as really as uh, Philip invited Nathaniel. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, conquered death on our behalf. And Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand where right now he's ruling and reigning, superintending over all things. And do you know who we are, church? 
Scripture calls us the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And I've come to see and realize and firmly believe that Paul, by using this metaphor, the body of Christ, is speaking more than metaphor. It's more than just a metaphor that we are the body of Christ. In our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, Paul writes this phrase, your body is a temple. Now, we usually read that and we think individual terms, my body is a temple, but Paul is using plural language and he's writing to the church, your body, y'all's body is a temple, which for these first century hearers and readers would have been huge for them to hear. Your body, church, is a temple, meaning that we are the place where Christ's glory, where God's glory, where Yahweh's glory dwells on earth. We are the place where heaven meets earth. We are the place from which Christ's glory, God's glory, shines forth in the world. We are the body of Christ through our baptism, through our faith in Jesus, by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We are so deeply and profoundly united with Christ that he dwells in us, and listen to this, and continues his incarnational presence here on earth through us. Some theologians pick up on this, and they use this phrase that I love, that the church is the prolongation of the incarnation. The church is the prolongation of the incarnation. In a sense, the church is the embodiment of Jesus in the world. When people rightly encounter the church, they encounter Jesus himself. When people encounter the church rightly, they encounter Jesus himself. Listen again to our collect for this second Sunday of Epiphany that we prayed just a few moments ago. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, the church, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Did you catch that? We're praying there that God would make us, as the people of God, shine with Christ's glory, with the radiance of Christ's glory, so that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Now, one of the ways that this happens explicit, it's explicit here in this collect is illumined by your word and sacraments, word and table, word and sacraments. We are a sacramental people. We believe that God meets us in, with his invisible grace in visible ways like bread and wine. So for me personally, this season of my life that, that Father Wes alluded to, when, before I was an Anglican, when I was in this hard place, burned out in life and in ministry, I started showing up at a little midweek Eucharist service in a small chapel in Memphis. And I'd sit in the back of the room and I'd fumble my way through the prayer book, not really knowing what was going on, how to follow along. But over time, I found myself feeling supernaturally sustained and empowered. I found myself feeling less lonely and transformed as through the church and the sacraments that Christ gave his church, I met Jesus in real and intangible and powerful ways. Just like Philip invited his friend Nathaniel, come and see. We can invite our friends, come and see Jesus in his body 
the church. And I believe that this is our call, church, in this particular cultural moment. This is our call, to be a sacramental community of disciples through whom people encounter Jesus. So Jesus called Philip, and Jesus calls you as well through his church. Follow me. Follow me. And so as we, the church, follow Jesus together, may others come and see. And as we're, in the, we're the church in Jackson, as we're the church in Memphis, may many, many people know and experience the radiance of Christ's glory shining through us so that Jesus, listen to this, so that Jesus may be known, worshipped, and obeyed here in Jackson, in Memphis, and to the ends of the earth. May it be true for Christ's honor and for his glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.